You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The Lord gives outstanding victories to ordinary men and women just like you and me. Listen, none of these individuals who defeated these giants set out to be heroes. They just were devoted to their duty. They did not shirk off difficulty when it came their way. The size of the oppositions did not intimidate them. And thus, they were honored by God. As a believer, God will often call you and use you in places where you'll face opposition. Sometimes your opposition may be a giant in the way. Today, Pastor Mike will challenge you to be willing to be used by God despite the obstacles you face. Remember that no enemy is bigger than God. If He's called you, He will more than get you through. Don't run away if things feel difficult, but lean more and more on God through it. God will accomplish miraculous things through those willing to be used by Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21 as he continues his message, God Has Not Forgotten. David, when ascending to the throne, made a covenant together with Jonathan to spare those of his own household. And Mephibosheth happened to be one of them. So there are two different Mephibosheths here. So David didn't turn Jonathan's son Mephibosheth over to be killed by the Gibeonites. Okay, so just keep that in mind. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah. Rizpah happened to be one of Saul's concubines, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Marholthite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the days in the beginning of the barley harvest. This would have been towards the end of April. Okay, so... They are then hung, these seven men, and they are thrown over a cliff. Now, 
we pass over this and to consider the reaction of this woman whom we're introduced to, Rispa, who is, as I've mentioned, one of Saul's concubine, over the death of her two sons and then the other five. She knows her sons have been punished for the sins of her husband Saul, their father. She shows no malice towards David for what is happening. Notice there's no words of denunciation coming from her lips. And now let's pick up in verses 10 through 14. Now Rispa, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth, and the sackcloth represents a sign of mourning, and spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And and that indicates that God had relented his chastisement over his people Israel. Because remember, there was a famine, there was a drought in the land. But now there's rain, and we have the indication here by what is recorded for us there in that verse 10. Notice the reference to the late rains poured on them from heaven. Now remember, these seven motionless bodies are just lying there on the ground. So keep that in mind. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told what Rispa, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, I'll explain all of this to you in just a moment, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the streets of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, the father, that is the father of Saul. They were actually buried in an ancestral plot, and they performed all that the king commanded And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. Now, the teaching of the law was clear, according to the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 16 and verse 4. A corpse that was exposed to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field was deemed to be dishonored. So, if, for example, if someone perpetrated an evil deed, they wouldn't have received an honorable death or burial. They would have just laid them out there in the street. They would have been killed and just lied there. They wouldn't have given them any honor whatsoever. They wouldn't have placed them in a grave. They wouldn't have placed them in a a tomb. And, And they did that to dishonor the bodies for the evil deed that they had done. Well, Rispa, this woman that we're introduced to here, one of Saul's concubines, the mother of these two, determines that this will not be their fate. And she maintains a silent vigil for six months. Think about that. For six months, she's just sitting there protecting the carcasses from scavengers. And listen, what I see in this is that this woman exemplifies what is best in motherhood. Well, anyway, news had gotten back to David, what she was doing, and his heart is moved. And he determines to give the bones of Saul and Jonathan, so their bodies are exhumed, and these seven 
descendants are given an honorable burial and they're brought back to their ancestral territory there in Benjamin and they are all uh, lying together there in that tomb. The Lord is then moved by the prayers of entreaty for the land. Notice there in verse 14. And then once again, God's favor is upon the people and the drought is broken. And so the lesson here from this portion of scripture is this. Unconfessed sin is not forgotten or forgiven. So don't be confused by this. Don't think just because time has lapsed, you've committed some kind of a sin, uh, you're not going to pay the penalty of sin. Remember, whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he uh, reap. That's just one of the laws of the, of the universe that governs the, the, the universe. God knows. God sees. And God will chasten us in order to bring us to repentance. Now, going forward, we pass on to consider the wars of Israel's son. But they are unrelated to the preceding events, all of what we've just been talking about. The writer's intention is to establish a role of honor in which outstanding acts of bravery are recorded and handed down for posterity. And in this, we learn something about the men that helped David. And in this, I want to bring this down to personal terms. I I, I want you to think about yourselves. I want you to think about the virtue and the characteristics of those individuals who are used by God to further his kingdom, to come alongside one another, to be all of what God wants us to be in our calling as a corporate body, as members of this church. I want you to think of it in that respect. All of what is recorded for us here most likely took place in the last 10 years of David's life. These different conflicts, these different battles. In one of the campaigns that we're about to read about, David is nearly killed. And I believe that that record was recorded to give us some idea of the dangers to which David was exposed in his military life. But also to see how wonderful God is in the deliverance he experiences. And I think that this sets us up for the next chapter, in chapter 22. Because chapter 22 is all about David's recollections of his whole life, all of the different conflicts and wars and campaigns that he was involved with, and how that God went before him, and God gave him all of the different victories, beginning with Goliath of Gath, and Saul chasing him down to kill him and to take his life, and then all of the other conflicts against the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Amorites, and the Syrians, and all of that. So chapter 22 is all of David's recollections. It's sort of like a a song of deliverance. So I think what is recorded for us here at the end of chapter 21 kind of sets us up for chapter 22. But it's really all about how wonderful God is in his deliverance of his uh, people. And we should be mindful of of what God has done for us in delivering us from our perils and our uh, difficulties and our struggles and our life's experience. Well, anyway, getting back to our text, all four battles that are referred to here are against the Philistines, one common enemy. 
All right, so let's pick up now in verses 15 through uh, 17. When the Philistines were at war against Israel, David and his servants with them went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Now, David is an old man by this time, but he's still going out with his military troops uh, to battle. But he's not as spry as he once was. Verse 16, Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, so this was a, he was a member of the family of Goliath of Gath. This is the same Goliath that David slew when he was a young man. So we're introduced to him here, one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought that he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now, we don't know where the first battle took place, only that it was a long and arduous one. Notice, according to our text, obviously David grows weary, and this fellow Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giant, attempts to kill him. His spear weighs seven and a half pounds. His sword was made especially for him, and he engages David on the battlefield. Obviously, he has the upper hand. And Abishai, one of David's mighty men, comes to David's aid and kills the Philistine, lest the Philistine would have killed David. Then David is made, notice here, to take an oath, there in the latter part of verse 17, to swear that he's not ever again going to go out with his troops in battle. But what I I see in all of this is how that God protected him through the strength of others. And you know what? Something that really ministered to me. I think of, you know, all of the years of being involved in, in ministry and how that I've, you know, been able to rely upon those that God has put alongside of me in the ministry to assist and to help me. Almost 40 years now of ministry here in New York and, and up in Alaska and in Hawaii. And, and God just surrounded me with people who just strengthened my hands and, and assisted me and, and helped me. These mighty men and women of God assisting in the, in the ministry. And I've been so thankful for them. And, I, and I've really needed that strength many times. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 4, in verses 9 through 12, the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 5, in verses 9 through 12, and how God assists and how God provides through other individuals. In Ecclesiastes, in chapter 4, in verse 9, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they, if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And again, just thinking back, reminiscent of you know, all of the years being involved in ministry and all of the people that God brought along 
you know, across my path to help in the ministry. And I'm so thankful for those individuals. And I've received their strength and their gifts and their talents. And what a blessing that that is. And uh, I hope that there are more people who are going to step up and assist us. And this is just a minor setback. You know, this new strain of the virus that we're dealing with. And we're hopeful that, you know, soon we're going to reach herd immunity and things are going to get back to normal. And I would encourage every one of you to please pray to that end because there are some things that we want to do and that we want to kind of get back to normal and we want to continue to reach out to our community here in the city. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just trusting that God is going to use us in a mighty way. And we're trusting that you, every one of you, will play an integral part and role in what God wants to accomplish through Harvest Christian Fellowship of this year. So anyway, following this war with the Philistines, in which prominence is given to David and Abiashai, his men, verses 18 through 22, treat three other battles against Israel's enemy to the west. So let's go ahead and read that now, that section, verses 18 through 22, the remainder of this chapter. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, and that Sabiche, the Hushethite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. So again, he was related to Goliath of Gath. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elinah, the son of J.R. Argum, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So we're going through the record of these three other uh, conflicts. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born to the giant. So all of these are members of the giant's family, Goliath. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, now don't be confused by this, Jonathan did not have a son named Shimea, so this is actually a nephew of Jonathan. David's brother killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Okay, so following this war with the Philistines, in which prominence is given to David and Abiashai, and David's relationship with his men, verses 18 through 22, treat three other battles against Israel's enemy to the west. In the second battle, Sabiche strikes down Seth, who is a descendant of Goliath. In the third war that was waged, Lahanan slays the brother of Goliath. His name was Lemai, according to 1 Chronicles in chapter 20 and verse 5. The fourth and final battle, instigated by the king of Gath, once again a giant of immense proportions, this time Jonathan, David's nephew, is the one who killed him. And the biblical writer then sums up these activities by pointing out that the four Philistine champions were all sons of one man, a giant of Gath, and each shared a common fate 
at the hands of David's soldiers. And what, do we, what should we take away from all of this? Remember, these were men of renown. These were giants. These were fierce enemies. Well, this just goes to show you, and it proves that the Lord gives outstanding victories to ordinary men and women just like you and me. Listen, none of these individuals who defeated these giants set out to be heroes. They just were devoted to their duty. They did not shirk off difficulty when it came their way. The size of the oppositions did not intimidate them, and thus they were honored by God. And they actually attained celebrity status. And we have the record of that here in this text. And after they did and accomplished what we are told they did, they just returned to their duties without any fanfare. Listen, gang, this is the people that is used by God. Won't you be one of those people this next year? The attitude of successful people are as such. They respond positively to a challenge. And listen, we're going to face many challenges, you can be sure. And, you know, the enemy doesn't want us to accomplish great things. You know, the devil would just have us come together on Sunday mornings and have a little bless me club, you know, sing our songs and hear a message and then just go our ways and, and just go back to our normal life and not really make a difference in, in any way in, in furthering God's kingdom. You know, reaching people at our places of employment in our neighborhood. You know, if that's the way that we uh, approach our Christianity, we're no threat to the kingdom of darkness. But listen, we want to accomplish great things, right? We want to be used by God. And so we want to respond positively to every challenge. And you can be sure that the devil is going to challenge us this next year. The, the attitude of a successful person, the person that God uses, relishes a difficult task. You know, they'll, uh, they'll put themselves out there. You, they might think that, hey, I can't accomplish this. But with God, we can do all things, remember, who strengthens us. And no matter who it is that is against us, we maintain a positive attitude. No matter how great the enemy, how large the enemy might seem, no task is so great, right? We're still going to go forward. These were David's mighty men. And thus his life was fortified and enriched by their company. And listen, these mighty men of David, they never let him down. And so may God give us men and women exactly like this to help us in the ministry. And again, I put that question to you. Won't you be one of those individuals? In my Father's house There's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my... We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online, just go to the Resources tab. 
Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You get directions and service times at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for